Speaking of Tango Whiskey Foxtrot, these headphones are like kind of spitting up blood, but I'm just too, too proud. You look so cool, though. Like, you look like a little secret agent. Thank you. Speaking of Tango and Cash. Bourbon? As we were just talking Tango. I'm like, I, I hear Tango. I just go Tango and Cash. Uh, that's it. End of joke. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I still had fun. I just want you to know. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about, how do you describe it? The weirdly horny, extremely 80s witches of Eastwick. It's so much more and also so much less. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? How do you describe this movie? Easy. It's Hocus Pocus meets Sex in the City with a healthy dash of The Shining. Sure. Okay. That's not an inaccurate description. Look, this movie proves beyond, if you had a shadow of a doubt in your mind after one flew over the cuckoo's nest and The Shining, that there is... Any actor who has ever lived that can do a psychotic breakdown like Jack Nicholson, this movie will convince you. A man who's never been accused of underacting. Um, <laughs> and the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Well, first of all, this movie's from the 90s. And you can tell because of the fashion. It's extremely 1987. This movie's from the 90s. No, nope, this movie's from 1987. Extremely 1987. All right, well, I'll see you guys later. Um, <laughs> I have to turn in my uh, my card of, I don't know, just being a person. I know, I love this movie. I love this movie, whether it's from the 90s or not. Oh, this movie was so much fun. This movie Whatever is, about it is the it's a lot of it. <laughs> There's, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. There is no part of this movie that isn't at 11 at all times. I don't know if this movie is weirdly horny, because it's just... It's, it's weird and it's horny. Singularly horny. Yeah, that's what um, it is. You're right. Yes. It's it's weird and it's horny, but it's not weirdly horny. Which yeah, is how I described John Updike, the writer who is responsible for the book this is based on, as a singularly horny man. Um, yes. Before we get into John Updike too much, let me introduce our guest tonight. She's a comics artist and animator. She hosts the Animation Communication, that's Kim Communication podcast, and. She famously loves Kim Possible quite a lot. It's Rachel <laughs> Alexander. Rachel, it's so good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me um, on your thing. I, I just knew Jimmy did a podcast and we were trying to figure out when a good timeline to be it, to have it or do a podcast. I don't know. But Jeremy's been on my podcast and we know each other from the pony days. I'm a YouTuber the person. Days. The pony, the times of the pony. So I don't do as many pony cons as I used to back in like 2000. I've never done as many pony cons as you used to. <laughs> oh no, it was it was a time, but to be fair, there were more pony cons to be to be done than there were now. So you know, my now main experience with pony cons is I've watched the Bob's Burgers episode about a pony con like at least twelve times. It is not inaccurate. It is. <laughs> Have you been forcibly been given a tattoo at one of these, Jeremy? No, I have been. Gifted I, things that are are borderline pornographic about I have, ponies. I have some war stories if you if you guys want to be indulged. But yeah, there's um 
there's a time to be had and you know it's very much dependent on who is running the convention and their priorities as moral humans and you know just kind of it is what it is in terms of this movie's being weird and horny it does do one of my least favorite tropes in movies which is get rid of the glasses when you're trying to make the character hot I'm not saying we could save Hollywood by showing David Zaslav librarian porn, but it couldn't hurt. I mean, it probably could, and it, it definitely would... will, but we should do it anyway. I, I, I do have to say, as we get into this, that it is a unique fuel mixture of weird people because it is directed by George Miller, who, if you know, you will probably know as the Mad Max guy, like <laughs> directed. Made all the Mad Max films. Also the director of Happy Feet. So yes. the guy's got range. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. range indeed. So it is written by John Updike, who, as I said, I referred to as a singularly horny man. If you've ever read any of his, uh, especially his rabbit books, there's just a lot of sex had and, and things. There's He's a a very horny dude. and The winner also, of the uh, literary prize for most punchline sounding name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. And just the screenplay is written by Michael Christopher. It stars uh, a murderer's row of people who don't seem like they should be in the same movie. Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, Veronica Cartwright, and Richard Jenkins looking incredibly depressed and beaten down in this movie. Richard Jenkins has a rough time of it. It's um, so weird seeing Richard Jenkins with even that much hair. Also, yeah. fun fact about this movie. Did you know that the Daryl Van Horn, the original choice was Bill Murray. Yeah, wow. I read that. I believe that. You know, I believe it too. I'm glad that they didn't because that Nicholson been was the very, way to go. Yeah, that was a, would be a very different movie. I I feel like Bill Murray would have actually come across as uncomfortably scummy, whereas Nicholson somehow like managed the horseshoe theory and all the way around into like just cute and charming, like even while being weird, a weirdo psycho monster. At least he made it entertaining. That's yes. kind of yeah. my takeaway. Like yeah. when he's like on the bed with the scene with Cher, I feel like with <laughs> Bill, Mur- I feel like I would have been legitimately uncomfortable with Bill Murray, whereas I was fucking laughing my ass off with Nick. No, Bill Murray would have been sad. Like Bill yeah, Murray, Bill Murray, been- Murray oh. dropped out of this movie. He was supposed to be playing that part. He was cast. He dropped out. Also, weird fact: Susan Sarandon was cast in Cher's part originally. When Cher, when they, you know, when Cher signed on to do the movie, she was like, I am only doing Alex. I am not going to play Jane. And so she was cast as the part that was supposed to be Susan Sarandon's. And Susan Sarandon didn't know it until she showed up to the first day of filming. But that's... I cannot imagine that switched around. I cannot yeah. imagine oh my Cher God, playing right? Jane's yeah. part. Like, Susan Sarandon is so good as Jane. Yeah. I truly don't know if this movie would really work if it wasn't a wall-to-wall A-list cast, but it does, so it's delightful. Yeah. I I don't know what it is about Susan Sarandon that she so well fits the part, and this was the case with The Hunger as well, of, like, seemingly reserved character who is decidedly down to fuck. (laughs) And honestly, you just think about, like, all those analysis videos and the book, all those screenwriting books and how much ink and thought has been put into like 
How do you make your main character likable? How do you get audiences to connect with and engage your main character? And it turns out the answer is be in the late 80s and cast share Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Because the movie yeah. has to do nothing, nothing for me to be in love with all three of them. Yeah. And they're, I was just going to say, and they seem objectively like not pleasant people just outside their little bubble because you know i guess there was some implications that they all have kids but we don't really see the kids too often by the time the movie's (laughs) over they have nine kids between (laughs) them yep it is nine children actually 10 i'm sorry 10 her own basketball team of of children (laughs) michelle pfeiffer absolutely looking like a woman who's had six children in this movie yeah, just frazzled. And Cher's got the one, but Cher's is older. And this was something I caught on later in the movie because Alicia was like, how do they get this time together if Michelle Pfeiffer has 800 kids? And I was like, because they do a point where like they come, Michelle Pfeiffer's crew comes over to visit Cher and like Cher's kid just gets shoved away with all the other children to go babysit. And I was like, oh! Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, uh, what is it? There's definitely a Guildenstern and Rosencrantz are dead where it's like, where it's like Cher's kid and Michelle Pfeiffer's oldest kid where it's like, well, I guess our moms are in a polycule with the devil now. Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility. I definitely don't really see the movie being made um, like in a modern sense because there's just some things that were there that. I feel like it was trying to be really sex positive, but at the same time, like it had those implications of just like, don't, what are these, like, what? What, 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 what about the, like, it just like, kind of like made you whiplash. You, and I was like, why are they just like cool with all of this? If he's just kind of being a scuzzbag, you know? Weirdest, just, I was not thing expecting about this movie is, is that it is about the devil coming to a small town and forming a polycule with three witches who do not realize they have supernatural powers until like they accidentally summon him and then he like starts to okay. show them but they don't ever say the words witch devil or magic at any point in this movie because mm-hmm. it's not really focused on the magic part it's much more interested in the sex that the witches and the yeah. devil are having yeah so i will say and kathleen put this together the movie never spells it out but it does explain why only on that day does it seem like they're how like they start doing magic powers even though they've been hanging out for years? Yeah, because Jack Nicholson says like, "Oh, like," and again, and it's him being like, "I'm weird and very misogynist," but in a Jack Nicholson way, and also the devil. And he mentioned, and he says like, "Oh, a woman doesn't reach her full potential until she's been left." Yeah. And they have like, "Oh, like dead," where it's like. Dead disappears and divorced. No, dead, deserted, and divorced. Yeah, death, divorce, and desertion. And and the day when their powers start actually working is the exact day that Susan Sarandon's divorce is finalized. So it's the so that's the first day that all three of them have are like free of their husbands, and that's why their powers only start working then. Yeah, this movie credit to credit to my partner Kathleen for figuring that one this out. This movie does not mind. care about explaining anything. It, no, this it, movie just wants to show you like Susan Sarandon in an incredible dresses and Sharon pigtails, and yeah. also a very extended horny psychic tennis scene. I love it. Horny psychic tennis is my favorite I sport. I don't know this. why I, they don't have that I love in the this Olympics. Movie. 
I had a fucking ear-to-ear grin across my face the whole time watching this movie. Psychic tennis seems to be the thing that diffuses all jealousy, all conflict. Why don't we just take him, take him and take it to, you know, solve all the problems of the world. We can just also, world leaders to play psychic tennis with each other. Can we talk about the, the fucking, like, the musical sex scene? That was wild. Which one? Susan, Susan, Susan Sarandon and Jack Nicholson's the first one. They're playing, like, the oh, cello. Oh, yes. Yes. Like, her literally just, like, the bow literally on fire. Yeah, what is this, Master Exploder? Like, <laughs> this movie is such subtext is for cowards, and I love it. And that's why you don't have to say the word devil or witch or, well, he does say he's li- like, a, I'm just a little he's horny. A horny little... He says he's a horny little devil. Incredible. Incredible, this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, just flash your dick at me, movie. Just stop. Just like, you know, it's, don't. It's funny to me because there's, oh, so you are. Many, okay. There's so many movies and so many like shows and stuff that I really like, love dialogue in and that pe- that other people watch and they're like people don't really talk like this but that's how i feel about this movie it's like <laughs> there's a lot of like dialogue that's delivered especially by jack nicholson in this movie that i i would not stay in the room for these speeches like halfway through i would just be like oh my god with, they predicted with this- internet discourse yeah, yeah, that was my experience, too, with the movie, because I was the only one that, like, I was like, oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be Jack Nicholson as the devil. And I didn't expect, I wanted to go in blind, so I didn't expect such, like, on on main horny energy. And I was like, <laughs> and he's oh, so wow. The devil, like, his tent has devil horns on it. Yeah, he's called Daryl Van Horn. <laughs> I kept waiting for him to be, like, actually have a plan. But it seemed like his most, like, evil-to-the-world plan was mostly just fucking up, like, some birds. Like, just really, like, he really stuck into those migratory birds, but that really seemed to be the extent of the damage he wanted to do. Yeah, well, fuck those snowy egrets, I guess. Yeah, they fuck them really egrets. Excuse you. Excuse you, egrets. Egrets. Yeah. It's the, I've never heard anyone in the world say egrets like that. <laughs> snowy egrets. Like, as far as what his, like, plan is, you know, beyond just being a controlling, abusive, like, maniac at the end, his plan seems to be, I'm gonna get into a polycule with these witches, fuck up these egrets, the end? I have a theory about this. Um, Okay. I was, do you want me to do this first, or do you want me to do the recap first? Because I have... Theory, 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 theory. okay, okay. So he's he is not the devil. Here's he is a devil. He is their a devil. horny little devil. He is a horny little devil that they summoned. They you know they read the secret and they manifested this devil, this and fuck boy devil. This, this fuck boy that comes in and says all this fucking whack shit that is a like really performative woke kind of shit. You know, before it seduces Michelle Pfeiffer by essentially going like, I think it'd be pretty cool if I was trans. I'm not. But wouldn't that be cool? Well, he he does. He does this thing where he listens like that's the one time he listens. And he's for the other the other people for for Cher and for Susan Sarandon. He's like corset ripping and whatever. Like he's just this crazy romance novel of a guy. But then there's like a bunch of 
the you know, energy this movie would have if it was like a handsome dude and not Jack Nicholson. I love that the movie can't yeah. even bring itself to actually call Jack Nicholson handsome. Right. They call him Sharon the- is like, you're the ugliest fucking person I have ever met. And he's like, yeah, but wouldn't it be funny to fuck me? And then she's like, actually, kind of. Um, yeah. Like, he's like, wouldn't it be funny to fuck me and use all my money to do whatever you want to do? And she's like, you know, it would. It would, though. And yeah. then Susan Sarandon, he basically just teaches her how to masturbate, and that's what is required. Just um, like in Pleasantville. Yeah. I don't recommend that movie. But um, yeah, so, but he, they manifested him, and he helped them purge themselves of the, like, internalized sexism that they were experiencing in this in this little town. Which, which the, fuck this town. Yeah. Fuck the town. Yeah, fuck I hate this, this town. town. The long life I don't, I don't the know movie, about yeah. you guys. But this, that first scene with the high school band and the real shitty oh, dude, no. like doing yeah. the long speech dude... with the 800 quotes from the Bible in front of the church and in that fucking sunlight, I was like, oh my God, I've been here. Yeah. I've been here well, and it's still a nightmare. Well, yeah. that one of his, that even before that, one of the very first scenes of the movie is him going to Susan Sarandon being like, hey, have sex with me if you want a job. Yes. Like, if yeah. I can lay a real criticism at the movie, this dude did not get enough comeuppance. That's true. That's true. But, I needed know, that dude, like, eaten by weird claymation demon Nicholson. That would have been really cool. <laughs> Damn it. Well, maybe he, like, choked on one of the cherry pits that was vomited all over him. But, like, yeah. So, I, I do just, love, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I have a theory. Okay, so he's, okay, theory, he's like, yes. a manifestation and that comes with all of the flaws that is folded into their idealism right and for me like yeah there's a lot of problematic elements to that but it makes sense to me that way where he comes in and he's like i'm gonna say all these things that you know you you wish that men would say but i'm also a giant dick and you know that and like i'm you know i'm i'm very um God, I shouldn't have had so much white wine before this. I watched the quote. No, no, that's no, great no. You, job. you should. You should have white wine before talk before watching or talking about. Yeah, this no, movie. okay, but yeah, I so, might go get someone you while you're doing the recap later. Okay, sounds good. I mean, so much of Nicholson's seduction strategy is just to quote Dragon Ball Z abridged. I know you're playing me, but you're right. Yeah, or like I, I know you're playing me, but I know that you know that you're kind of full of shit and so i'm still i mean like that's something that i find really relatable is when the like this fucking cartoon character of a dude comes up to you and is trying to say like all the right things and you know it's like you know we're not quite getting to the negging although he gets to that later but you know like pickup artist shit but this is the guy who's like <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so full of shit huh and i'm like yeah and you know it has worked in the past and that's on me but well, I mean, it's it's a thing that like I think is important to address, especially mm-hmm. with with the uh, the idealism that is coming, and especially from these things that women are told that they should like. Mm-hmm. And I think we, that that is a step for that movie, you know, in in its to its credit. We've so again, we've watched a lot of horror movies for this show where horror is metaphor for abusive relationship, like a lot, and I think. What sets this apart is that normally, like, it's always like whatever this person was is lost or damaged or like they're healed. They always have to heal or recover from the abusive relationship. What's kind of strange, and again, probably because it is like 
the devil and their witches. And also, this is just a sexy, fun comedy thing. Before we get Daryl becoming, you know, violent and abusive and incredibly control and incredibly abusively controlling, you do get not I'm not going to say because of him, but maybe through him or inspired by each other. Like before things get worse, you do get this weird thing where it's like, oh, all three of these women are becoming like their best selves. Like Susan Sarandon is so much happier and more confident and musically talented. Cher is believing in her artistic abilities and pushing herself to new bounds. Michelle Pfeiffer has six kids. Yeah. Um, so they're vibing. She's vibing. Yeah. She, she got a perm she, too. She's, boun- she's bouncing a tennis ball off her butt. She's having a time. Like, yeah. It's like you want to see him defeat. And, and, and I do appreciate that this movie doesn't come with the message of like, oh, they were better the way before. Like, this still ends with them being like a sexy polycule living in a mansion, being fucking glamorous as hell. Yeah. And I like, I love that. This movie shows them defeating this abusive part without giving up on the on this rich, fuller, more liberated selves they've become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's an, an allegory to excess rather than like a a uh, cautionary this, table tale about this movie like, thing itself. I think really ascribes to my personal belief of all things in moderation, including moderation. Yes, that's really good. <laughs> That's really good. Thank um, you. I'm going to so, put on a t-shirt. Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, just subscribe to our Patreon. Um, <laughs> do we still have for... that? <laughs> yes, yeah. we do. We just um, do it for. We just do this for the love of the pod. We do. We have a Patreon so we can make extra stuff that you have to pay for. Also, because you know we we like to be able to do things like buy new equipment. So yeah, pay for our own hosting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before before we jump into the recap, uh, Rachel, did you have anything you wanted to add? Any like big thoughts about the movie? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't want to interrupt the flow, I guess, because you guys have a have a rhythm, and I was just like, I'm just vibing. But yeah, I don't, I don't mind vibing. But yeah, as as probably the most, you know, just not very sexual person in nature, just generally speaking. I didn't really, again, I didn't really know what I was going to expect going into this movie. But um, I was watching it with one of my um, when, with one of my friends, and he was like. Man, I'm kind of curious how this podcast is going to turn out because he also didn't really expect it to be such like horny on main energy. But I think like as you know, I just turned 30. So, I'm you know, I'm like kind of still in the millennial thing. It's just like it's weird. Like it's kind of like the movie's trying to be feminist, but it's also kind of reads like it's written by a man at the same time too if that makes oh, any 100%. sense 100 oh, yeah. yeah. and so Don like Dyke is the most 1987 male feminist like that you know he's all, all of his stuff is very like women should be sexually liberated because i like to have sex with them kind of stuff yeah. um, I right, see right. Their nipples through their dresses god damn it it seems like kind of suburban Game of Thrones was the vibe uh, I felt would watch oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wish yeah. I do wish it was gayer. Like I wish I could honestly look at Cher, Sarandon, and Pfeiffer and go like, okay, they're all together. Yeah. Even without Daryl, like I like I wish I could say this still ends on like a queer polycule instead mm-hmm. of like a co-parenting situation. If we could, if. It, we had a card at the end that said, and they're married now. Like, or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> that would be yeah, I think that because it seems like that. to me like I would be mad if this guy is just coming in fucking my friends and fucking me and then we don't we also just don't know about it but it seems like I it's I'm glad that they had that relationship that that's all cool but like it's just we the, the weird tension for well, the tennis match thing is just I didn't so, like that I didn't yeah. like the jealousy which was also it was strange that Susan Stray was kind of like didn't know because the vibe of Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer on the way there was like, it was very polyamorous to start with where Cher was being like, okay, Michelle Pfeiffer, I just met this guy. He's not a good guy, but he's a good fuck. And I feel great about myself. I want to introduce you. I want you to get that good fuck energy too. Like, yeah. it seems like Michelle, like Cher was bringing Michelle Pfeiffer there to share Jack Nicholson. Yeah, she was trying to, you know, invite her in, so to speak. And this is why communications is communication is important oh my god if you're gonna open up your relate like whether you're poly whether you're just physically open communication is the key yeah not all problems and this movie makes some false promises not all problems (laughs) are fixable by psychic tennis not all polycules can dissolve tension through psychic tennis not all polycules can if it did prince of tennis would have ended a lot differently i'll tell you that yeah. yeah, I mean, also, we try, yeah. I know we have to do the recap, but there's one element of the movie we haven't discussed. I'll go after you. Uh, I have one more point, but yeah. Okay, yeah, please. Yeah, oh, I was but... just going to say, oh, whatever, sorry. No, 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 no. The floor is yours. Yeah, you're a guest. I was just going to say, like, uh, I guess going back to the children thing, I guess it's hard for me. Like, I'm one of those people that, like, you know, hyperfixate, not hyperfixate, but like I notice all these little things and No, that's what this podcast is for. No, <laughs> yes, this absolutely. podcast is for watching movies and then hyperfixating on the little details and going, I'm sorry, how the fuck did that work? Yeah, yeah. I like my 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 protagonists to be actual um decently good people and I watched all of Bojack Horseman and I didn't like it just because Bojack wasn't a good person and I know that's the point but just still like mm-hmm. it's hard to spend all that energy with someone who's just so fucking toxic so like you know I got the vibes pretty early on that these women were just kind of ignoring their children and you know their real lives to go fuck Jack Nicholson and I'm like is it gonna get better is it gonna get better and at the end like they all have they all get pregnant and they all have babies and it doesn't really like they don't really have any like consequences that you know, people die, but it's not really their problem kind of thing. And I was just like, that's like kind of, it was well, a weird the, movie. The person, <laughs> I, I'm glad to say because the person who dies is who I want to talk about. Because while we have raved about the well-deserved performances of all the stars, argue, the movie's secret weapon is coming out of fucking nowhere, Veronica Cartwright as Felicia. Holy shit. Veronica Cartwright, who we've only actually talked about this woman before in context of the movie Alien. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even fucking clock that. <laughs> she does next to nothing in Alien. She's just the, you know, the other woman that's on the ship. Yeah. Um, who, I guess, canonically is made trans as of Aliens, but also doesn't really do much in Aliens to for that to be like celebrated, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not yeah. representation. It's trans, it's, and now she's it's, dead. Yeah, it's nothing. It's less than Dumbledore being gay. Yeah, well, far <laughs> I less. I like how that's on the bar. Yeah, that's yeah. the bottom. That, that, that is the bottom of the barrel. The yeah. double, the double bar. Is that what you said, Jeremy? <laughs> no, I, you said that's the bottom. I said as is Dumbledore. Um, hey, Dumbledore. Um, oh, Veronica. 
Veronica Cartwright fucking just breaks her leg. Like, Felicia breaks her leg and then just fucking glares it off like a champ. Yeah. Yeah. She is so dedicated to slut shaming these women that she will walk, she will, she will continue to do so even with her leg broken, even as she is vomiting cherry pits. Even as she is being murdered, she will continue to slut shame these women. She cannot be stopped. Now, I do have to say, there is an interesting thematic point because she is also clearly tied into the supernatural. She is clearly also attuned to what's going on. Now, and I wonder to what degree this is supposed to represent, you know, the anti-feminist women leaders of the time. Like, you know, how the leaders against, like, the Equal Rights Amendment were women. Like, if this was supposed to represent somebody who's, you know, whose expression of their own personal empowerment is in its own way anti-feminism. Or if she's just kind of, like, got God powers. I feel like her her power and her sight and everything is part of the curse of Daryl. Like... She is the scapegoat in all this. I I do realize that my attempts to connect fucking Veronica Cartwright in Witches of Eastwick to Anita Bryant might not be the most elegantly thought out of ideas. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, she is she represents a hyper religiosity that was incredibly prevalent at this sort of Reagan time in America. Still is, and still is, but particularly in a a place like this in a time like this would have been just sort of like this loud voice that people just can't fucking ignore no matter how much she is like because i mean she is not wrong that they are doing witch stuff but also they aren't actually hurting anybody until the until she pushes it to where like you know they hurt her inadvertent or inadvertently as it may be yeah, it's it's really like she represents a real sort of like nagging moralism that like makes everything worse. It doesn't, yeah. you know. There's there's no point at which she is like trying to help them or trying to warn them. Like she sees them and their promiscuity as as much of the problem as him, and is more concerned about the fucking egrets than the other people living in town. So, I mean, she is sort of horrible in her own special moralizing way. Would Does she deserve to die? I don't know. No. I mean. But I think that there's significance to the fact that her own husband kills her. And he is not affected by this curse. Like, he is not being cursed in any way. He is just she, being she a She is his curse. I, I mean, I yeah. Like, yeah, but like, he's... you know, but he doesn't recognize anything supernatural going on. He just is like, he just is done yeah. one day. Because, um, and, and her answer to like them is not to pray for them, not to try and help them, not to talk to them, but to like get her husband to fire one of them, like yeah. from her job, which she is doing well. So like, I don't know, Richard is real. He's the, the real put upon one here, uh, you know, to the point that when he does finally end up murdering his wife, you're like, I mean, it's wrong, but I understand. Like, <laughs> I get it. I mean, you've you never seen the... henpecked like Richard Jenkins is henpecked in this movie. Yeah. And it is wrong to beat anybody to death with a fire iron, but <laughs> we all have a limit. At which point, I can't say that I wouldn't beat somebody to death with a fire iron. Like, 
This is a I, fun podcast. There's <laughs> also just the quiet craziness of he does it and then he goes back to reading his paper. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very cartoony kind of like domestic man at the end of his rope. Yeah. Shall so we in yeah, yeah, let yeah, let's get I had, I had one up. more thing I wanted to bring up oh, yeah. before we go further. That has nothing to do with anything except for I think it's fucking hilarious and they don't say anything about it in the movie, which is after the scene where uh, he has, we fade to black with Jane like leaping on Van Horn, finally getting it as she's wanted to be getting it. We don't see the end of that scene, but the next time we see her, you know, her whole hair and aesthetic has changed. But he literally has like claw marks this across claw his face. Claw marks on his face. I, was I like, fucking Whoa. love that. She really that, fucking went for it. Like, and, and again, nobody we said don't get, anything we don't about get it. Explanations. It's like, just there, has, and has, you know why it's gouges. there. He yeah, has gouges like he fucked Wolverine. Like that's the yeah. situation he's got going on on his face. Like, did he not? Um, we just kept going from there. Okay, so yes, that was all I wanted to say is uh, that's another one of the just hilarious things they don't actually talk about in this movie they just do the, the, yeah um, there's a lot of things that are done in this movie with extreme and like done to completion that i don't understand but we'll get into it so we have there we go we talked about the the, the basics the the stars the writers the director so now we have our setting it is the small humble white new england town of eastwick three long-suffering single women deal with typical small humble white town problems such as sexism assault and the much maligned single motherhood we have alexandra who's played by Cher. she is an artsy sculptor widow who lives in an old riverside house with her teenage daughter we have jane played by susan sarandon who is a demure cellist recent divorcee music teacher and suki Michelle Pfeiffer, who is a single mother of six and a struggling small town journalist. I this do want to ask something real quick. Just is small. Quick time out. I, I need to take a yeah a poll. Have any of you guys ever met anybody named Suki? No, I just do know characters. The... Do characters from Too Fast, Too Furious, or Avatar: The Last Airbender count? Yeah, I was going to be like, no. there's one in Avatar. Yeah, I know of at least five. Suki's that have been on television and in movies and i have never met a suki in my life this is like the marvel universe in hanks there's just fucking hanks everywhere uh and i've never met a person who goes by the name hank no i, I, know, I, know, I know i know i know hanks i've met maybe, I've met it's, hanks. Just, maybe it's just new york maybe there's just an excess yeah. of hanks in new york i'm yeah, trying but, to think if i have met a suki but like yeah but there's the, the two sukis that ben mentioned and there's uh, the Suki, who's the chef on Gilmore Girls. That's her best, Lorelai's best friend. There's Suki Stackhouse from the Oh yeah, the True Blood show. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then this Suki, I was like, I, that's five Sukis I can name off the top of my head from like movies and TV. I've never met a Suki in my life. Yeah, I was trying to think if I have not, but like, I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I've never met a Suki. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. I feel this like it's a... short for something, but I don't know what it is. So Suzanne something, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, email, email us, tweet us, progressively horrified at Gmail. Is that our, is that our email address? Sure. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine it's a, I think it's a more common name in Japan. And then I guess just people trying to make their characters sound. Well, there's Suki and there's Suki, which are different. And there's probably Thanks like- Thanks for clarifying that. 
<laughs> no, no further questions. Yeah. I know it's hard to, this is an audio medium and I don't know if my microphone is that good, but. I know it's an annotation based language, but I'm an ignorant American and we don't do that shit here. Oh, it's mostly phonetic, but don't worry about it. Okay. So we have Suki, we have Jane and we have Alexandra. The ladies start noticing odd occurrences around the town when a storm interrupts the Reverend Pastor Principal and Womanizer Walter's overlong speech. I don't know what his actual job is. I don't know if he's a principal or a reverend or a pastor, but I'm just deciding that this is what he's what he represents. Afterwards, over some martinis, they wish for a his, handsome dude. His job is patriarchy. Yeah, that's like, true. And, patriarchy like job is his job is just patriarchy. Yeah, there we go. Afterwards, over some martinis, they wish for a handsome dude to come into town and stir things up. Enter Daryl Van Horn, mysterious and off-putting dilettante played by Jack Nicholson, who has just bought the local historical Lennox mansion. He has a weird little ponytail, bananas-ass fashion, lots of money, too many pianos, a manservant lurch, and an obvious need for a CPAP machine. He is here to stir shit up. He starts courting our protagonists in oddly specific and unhinged ways, such as he leaves Jane flowers in a note and then follows up with some performative book overtures and a music lesson. He performs one of the most aggressive duets I've ever seen, and she plays so hard it literally sets her cello on fire. He offers Alex lunch, a catboy dance, and in no uncertain terms, he offers to be her sub. Meanwhile, Gossip Queen Felicia, who is our Veronica Cartwright, is going nuts because she clutched her pearls so hard that she gave herself a compound fracture. The bone marrow in her blood is apparently making her paranoid, and she just about henpecks her husband to death. But not quite, as we find out later. Jane and Alex bring Suki to meet Daryl, and he is already starting to put them or to set them against each other. Their dispute dissolves, however, over the game of magical tennis. Polycule on. Daryl lands Suki by playing the goofy, sensitive type and actually just, like, listening this time, as opposed to talking at length about what women are and how cool they are. <laughs> uh, apparently, Satan is really into camcorders. A veritable romance novel plays out as Daryl wines and dines our heroes, showers their kids with money and balloons. It's so rad that the ladies start levitating. Meanwhile, Felicia causes a scene at church and starts screaming about witches and dildos and how she's going to do something about the devil in the big house. Vice Counselor Proctor Reverend Walter starts freaking out now because Jane is letting loose and only black magic can make those band kids play properly. The local slut shame Jane and the local paper runs a hit piece on Daryl, making things difficult for Suki. The hit piece apparently was the result of Felicia pressuring her husband, Suki's boss. Subsequently, Felicia becomes possessed and starts projectile vomiting, and then her husband silences her with a fire poker. The murder gives the ladies pause, and they start arguing viciously about all their parts in this. Their argument causes a literal earthquake. They each enter, own, they each enter their own unique abyss and set some boundaries. Daryl notices their absence from their usual orgy sesh and starts harassing them with the, some emotional manipulation, love bombing, and stalking. So romantic, huh? In the midst of this, Jane finds out she's pregnant and visits Daryl while he's being very normal and watching his TV while play videos that he took of them discussing their favorite nightmares. And no, no, the nightmares are coming true. So Daryl's rude tricks go too far when he causes Suki to hemorrhage almost to the brink of death. And the ladies realize that they are all pregnant. Alex confronts Daryl about being an asshole and he just about goes for an Oscar trying to deflect her. She seems to give in and Suki's hemorrhaging stops. 
The ladies returned to the mansion and looking fly as hell, hell there. Looking fly as hell. It's orgy time. Or is it? It is actually. Um, you know, I'm pretty ladies, sure that, yeah, they do the orgy. Oh, the abs- there's absolutely they, an orgy. I mean, based on their conversation at the end, it's definitely also implied to be get their one last fuck on. Yeah, so they do have some other things in mind. The next morning, still bathing in afterglow, Daryl goes shopping with the manservant Fidel. That's Lurch. His name is Fidel, the character, not oh, Lurch. Oh, we, we're going to need to talk yeah, about we're gonna Fidel. we're going to talk about that. We're yeah. going to fucking talk about Fidel, believe you me. All right. So while they're in town, our hero starts using their witch powers to do some serious hexes on him. They Looney Tune his ass right into a church and he vomits cherry pits all over the congregation during a sexist rant. Skirt, skirt, skirt. So yeah, Alex, Suki, and Jane know that they summon this jerk. And so, of course, they should be able to get rid of him. You know, you sing it here, you sing it back, just like in the classic film Rock and Roll that I'm sure all of you have heard of. I've heard. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it won't be as easy as a little bit of sympathetic magic. Or will it? Daryl Carilla devils his way back to the house and the girls clean up, setting the stage to sexily greet him. And he starts unleashing the wrath of hell. Are they powerful enough to stop him? This isn't even his final form. But actually, yeah, they are. They reduce his Leviathan form to into a weird little baby demon, which then just fizzles into nothingness after they like cut his wax dick off or something like that. It's, I mean, it's pretty powerful. Good for them. <laughs> um, the ladies inherit the mansion, Daryl's money, and 18 months later, the family has three new little boys. But does Daryl's influence remain? No, actually, not really. It doesn't. The witches of Eastwick now live happily ever after. As a family polycule complete with manservant Lurch. The end. Yeah, I do Fidel love that Lurch just... is, Fidel is, is more than happy to continue to be their servant after. Yeah. After Van Fidel... gone. I, I feel like Fidel just like came with the house, maybe. That he's not actually there for the devil. He's just who's ever in the house. He'll just serve. Like, he's a house spirit, maybe? Yeah, I don't that know. was my read, too. He was, also, yeah, he was not human. Why was he wearing a turban in that one scene? He was wearing a turban in a couple scenes, which was like, what, what was up with that? Maybe they like really liked him as Mr. Hong. And they were like, look, we need you to channel girl boss's manservant. Look, he definitely was, was dressed like, Troy? Look, I could definitely see him like serving Cardi B grapes in a music video. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just I, the turban was weird. Look. look. We don't have analysis. We, it doesn't fit into the themes. It doesn't. We don't know how to interpret it through progressive politics. It's just going in that category we like to call shit that happened. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but it happened. Probably could have been less problematic. Yeah, that's, probably. That's my probably could have been less problematic uh, area there. there if this was a video, be- we would have a could have been less problematic banner going across the screen in yeah. sparkles. Yeah. Like, the more you know, it could have been less problematic. Yeah. The less problem, it could have been less problematic tier. As Look, opposed still to- only a point three, like still only like a point three of an Ace Ventura though. So hey, <laughs> that, that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like a whole unit. Jesus oh Christ. yeah. That, that is the unit. It goes from zero to Ace Ventura and you just measure things on that scale. Yeah. How many, how many, how problematic is this? How many Ace Venturas is it? Yeah. Um, but how, how many yeah, Michael Lurch, Bays is it? Yeah, God, you got me come Lurch. But no, yeah, just goes from unquestionably serving the devil to like, yeah, I'll serve this like mom, this mama cule. 
But that character in films, I mean, he's always playing that character. That actor, that, if you yeah. rec- hey, if you're a Star Trek fan and you recognize that actor, he is Troy's mom's servant, too. Yeah. He, this dude just plays that. He just got such henchman energy, this guy. He is ultimate girl boss manservant. Morticia Adams walks on a Troy. The witch quick. You know, and then whatever he's doing in Twin Peaks, apparently he's the servant of a girl boss in that too, because in Twin Peaks in return, the girl boss shows up and she's like, go float over there. And he's like, sure, I know exactly what's going on in this situation because it's Twin Peaks. That's a joke. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows that, yeah. I got distracted by a cat, to be honest. The the thing was... Happens when we talk about Twin Peaks. (laughs) anyone, if there is anyone in this entire goddamn world that said, I actually understand Twin Peaks and I'd believe him, it would be you, Emily. That's like the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. (laughs) (laughs) That and the time I went to the convention and the person that I'm just random person I was talking to at a booth was like, you make a really good Lucifer. And I'm like, it's in a (laughs) t-shirt. Thank you. Yeah, conventions have weird energy where people just say things and they mean it to be like one way and then it could be read another way. Like, I've gotten like people tell me I'm like I'm attractive at conventions and I'm like thanks I guess I don't really know you though like so I was blonde at the time and then I yeah I think it was like the haircut of Lucifer from the Sandman and so mm-hmm. they were like oh you're like he's Lucifer and you know they what they didn't know was that I have obsessions with Satan in media which is why we're here today <laughs> um, so yeah. I've noticed the thing, a theme, Satan, crazy fashion sense, always. Fucking Jack Nichol, Daryl Van Horn's fashion sense in this movie was beyond, that's why I thought it was 1991. Because oh, when he <laughs> shows up to share in that fucking like black and silver pattern jacket. <laughs> and his Holy shit. gross little ponytail, like I don't even know what oh they were God, trying the to ponytail. do with that. The ponytail, the Fucking ponytail. Why was Jack Nicholson in a ponytail? That bothered me so much. It wasn't I, even a whole one. It I think it like, was supposed to be like a visual visual representation for like horns because it seemed like his hair got crazier as he went. So that was my yeah. only Well, that's yeah. also, it's like, I feel like with most actors, they're like, okay, here's one, like, you're starting to see the demon come out. What kind of prosthetics? What kind of makeup do we need? Oh, Jack Nicholson just didn't sleep for 12 hours? Great. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, let's give him a fake foot, and then you know, he's camera ready. Yeah, and him like, walking yeah. out of that church with like just—it's just his face. That's all the yeah. prosthetics he it's needs. All, it's I mean, just yeah, this, like, the fucking demented look that he gets, uh, both here and in The Shining. And I yeah. know that you look at that face and you go, "Wow, what a great Joker!" And we got that. But oh wow, this was before Batman A Night. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but also. This movie, I think, like, I wish there'd also been, like, a 1990s Spider-Man movie that he could have been Green Goblin in. That would have been really interesting. Definitely no surfboards, though. I don't think he could have gotten, like, he's not the action guy that, that fucking Willem Dafoe was. Although, yeah, it yeah I mean, surfboard. But... Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. We did get Willem Dafoe twice, and he was great both times. Yeah, and the second time, they actually fixed what, like, they addressed what was wrong with the first time. Which he was is, a stupid mask. Willem, yeah, just Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is my second favorite part of No Way Home. 
The first, of course, being the fucking 90 second Tom Hardy cameo <laughs> that I am convinced he ad libbed in one take and then drove away. I I really yeah. There's like an extended. They just found him at a bar he was already at for that bit. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) oh yeah. The biggest plot twist is that it's Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. That's the honest biggest plot twist of the movie is Danny Rojas is there, just (laughs) serving drinks to Venom. Why wasn't that the whole movie? Yeah, why didn't we get more Venom? Why wasn't that that Venom too? Yeah, for Um, real. That's without Venom three, more Venom. Yeah. Less Woody Harrelson in a wig. Sorry. <laughs> At least that's, his wig in the fair. movie is better than his wig in the like end of the first Venom movie, which is. Just, I feel like yeah. Oh, yeah. Looks like he's wearing a Chucky like wig at dip- the end of that. I feel like we have different <laughs> definitions of the word better. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but talking that's about fair. this ridiculous ass movie. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is. He just looks at stuff like that's his evil. He looks at stuff and acts at like a fifteen. Like, he's going around with all of his, like, Reddit rants about, like, how woke he is. And it's, like, it's kind of ahead of its time in terms of, like, what we understand in pop culture as performative wokeness. And I think that this is, like, for sure intended that way Mm -hmm. in the movie. Like, it's intended that he is not, you know, he is just saying this shit in order to impress and, like, seduce these women. Like, he's saying he's doing what he thinks is necessary to build them up so he can own them, which is obvious in the whole turn turnabout that he does when they actually lay down some boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I do feel like with the Dallas, it's kind of like, yes, he's absolutely saying, and this is where, again, the movie does explain, and this is where I was never, and I don't think made the movie needs to say it, but I feel like the differing interpretations is, is he saying what, ever he needs to say to get them and further you know get their power further Mm -hmm. you know have the children he needs for some more elaborate plan like is he saying what he needs to further his own ends or is he saying whatever he needs to say to get them because they have conjured him into existence and he only exists to say whatever he needs to say because that's like his reason to of being yeah, I mean, if he is just something that they conjure into existence, then, you know, it kind of takes the punch out of the state. You get into some more fucked up Frankenstein angles where it's like, you made a man, fucked fuck? him, yeah. and then tortured him to death. Well, he he was shitty. So they're he like, was oh. shitty. But he they was made shitty. him that way if, if they, if they yeah, made they him. Yeah, they did make yeah. him. Maybe that's, you know, it's, it's like uh, the monkey paw I, I think the movie works better if he is summoned rather than created. Well, yeah, right. I think that's, that's yeah. one of the differences between this and the original Updike story is the original Updike story, he's a warlock, not a devil or the devil, you know, so he is using them for their powers. He is, you know, they're better than him. So, you know, he, you know, is, is going in to, to use them, which doesn't make uh necessarily as much sense with the devil except for that's i guess what the devil does with witches theoretically anyway is to <laughs> sign a book and yeah you get yeah. powers and shit i was gonna say i thought they were laying the groundwork for three individual men and they were like you know the devil was the ringleader kind of thing not like it and was all jack be- nicholson is all three of them <laughs> well he's supposed to be Just right nicholson because- in different costumes yeah i think he is supposed to be and that's probably why he's not like 
you know, that's probably part of the monkey paw is that like, if you confuse it too much, you get Jack Nicholson, you know, like, I think it all just comes down to because they couldn't agree on dick size. And so when he Nicholson like came out, he was just sort of like with Schrodinger's dick. And every time he looks down, it's like a different size. And that's just like, and I think that just like broke his brain Evangelion style. (laughs) So fucked up. Just his weird Schrodinger's dick. Talk about a climax. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I do think that, like, he, well, I think that he is kind of, like, perceived in a slightly different way than with each of them. And I also think that each of the women see a different dick. Like, I think that's what happens. Yeah. Also, can uh, we appreciate that the first Michelle Pfeiffer, when he finally seduces Michelle Pfeiffer, he's just at the other end of the pool and Susan Sarandon and Cher are just there, presumably watching quietly. Yeah, that's why, like, after the tennis match, they're all cool. They're like, okay, you know, we can yeah, share. But I, I still thought Michelle Pfeiffer would get, like, her own private seduction scene, not just, like, and now we cut to the other side of the pool. Well, that's how you know that her fantasy had to include them. Because in each case, each woman's fantasy was addressed specifically, right? Where apparently Cher needed to dom, like, hardcore dom. She needed to reduce this man to rubble and then have him beg her. I mean, I fuck get him. it. After watching <laughs> this, can you imagine being topped by 1987 Cher? Holy shit. No, I can't because it's unimaginable. I think entire generations have formed and fallen contemplating this. And, you know, and I think that we've, certainly accomplish things as a species because of this conundrum but it is not unknowable it is unknowable i shouldn't say it's not unknowable that was me stuttering it is unknowable and that's what brings us as a species to become something greater the 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 share instrument share yeah the instrumentality of share sharing is caring Oh, I knew I had to have known it was going to circle back around to Evangelion. I well, I was talking about Always evolution, does. but no, I was you're, just you're, say like I like Mamma Mia too. But anyway, like yeah, you have to appreciate. <laughs> I guess that the devil is a switch. Is that the message of the movie? Yeah, the devil is versatile. He has to be what you want him to be in order for him to be the devil. Like that's how he gets in there, and that's how he's insidious. I, I also, do feel I, like the. I, I'm sorry. Well, I feel like when it comes to the of the movie, like. I feel like there's kind of two forces working against the women or in opposition to the women. I feel like there's Daryl, which the movie handles and explores and has so much fun with. But I don't feel like the movie does as much with what it sets up in terms of like the women versus the town. Yeah. Just the regular culture of this town has clearly done so much to make the to minimize these women or make them feel like they need to make themselves smaller and i and you know look and not that the movie necessarily needs to do so it doesn't need to be this morality tale but we do not get this moment of like no this the people of this town are wrong like it is harmful and these women are right for standing up and embracing like them embracing who they truly are and this atypical 
fam blended family dynamic they've found. Like by far the most heartwarming moment of the movie is I forget if it's Cher or Michelle Pfeiffer who tells Susan Sarandon like, but you don't have a family, which was bitchy as hell. I did not like that. But Susan Sarandon, without missing a beat, just whips around and so tenderly goes, you're my family. Yeah. It's about family. The friends we make along the way, I guess. That yeah. Like, so, like, I know, it, again, it doesn't there, but, like, God, like, Sarandon with that you're my family line, like, that really gets me. And, again, it's mostly because, hey, it's Susan Sarandon. She's fucking amazing. But I do give this credit, like, movie a lot of credit for being, like, yeah, three women living together, all helping each other raise their kids with their fucking Adams family henchmen. Like, yeah, and they won. Like, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, they win. They win. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as the feminine of this movie is absolutely man writing women, wouldn't it be great if you were hot and sexually liberated around me? Yeah. I do well, give this movie a lot of credit for ending with, like, they have cut the man out, like, they have cut the man out completely, and now they have formed, like, a atypical matriarchal family structure that is truly what's best for them. And this is the happy ending. And the great debate is, is the sex still happening just with the women only, you know, like, are they like, cause... I, I hope so. I wish I could say yes. And the movie gives me reason to believe so, but the movie honestly gives me nothing in terms of queerness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're all talking about how they miss him. Like, if they were, if it was a little bit more clear that they were all fulfilled, you know, with each other, if they, like one of them was sitting in another one's lap or something like that, I would have been like, yeah, oh, okay. that would have been just, Mwah. yeah, or if what they, they were holding hands even, yeah, you know, if Lurch was like, I declare you best friends, like even there, I would have been like, okay, movie, all right, but I mean, even though we didn't get that, and it's it's damn shame, I do think that. The, the movie is remarkably non-judgmental about them rejecting the, you know, template that they're sort of trying to, that, that their town is trying to force them into, right? I do think Walter should have been exploded or something. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he, of all he gets of off the... easy in this movie. Yeah. Nothing, nothing happens to that guy. I feel like tradition dictates that that man should suffer in a horror movie, like, Yes. I know this is sort yes. of a comedy more than a horror movie, but I still we we can have comedic suffering. Yes, we can. We do. Lots of have... movie suffering is comedic. Yeah, Veronica Cartwright really like gets the comedic suffering. Yeah, and he does not. Yeah, and and she like her her situation is interesting to me because she a lot of this movie seems to be about putting investing the power in something right like how i see the daryl character is that they summoned this dude and it was like an imp right it was like a lesser demon and they invested all this power in it and that's what gave him that power and so he used it back on them so they were on this cycle and it's sort of like the way that paranoia gives power to our fears right when it is essentially the most exaggerated version of self-preservation. And so the Felicia character was cursed. And I think that her curse was, part of it was giving him power mm-hmm. because she was she was terrified of him. And then that gave him the power to 
make her essentially go insane. And obviously this wasn't some this wasn't a grand scheme. This wasn't grand plan. Like she didn't do anything that other than look like an idiot in church, you know? Mm-hmm. Which like also you could say some things about her condition and, you know, people dismissing it as yeah. like the the I the church. I wish we had gotten that. Yeah, that's the scene I wish we had gotten. It was the three of them just walking into church in sexy new like 80s outfits just being like we're gay witches and what up and then just sit right in the front pew and be like and what about it yeah yeah lightning strike to you nosy bitch yeah or lightning strike to walter and then the priest is like oh i think ultimately the end of this movie is like dictated by the fact that it's 1987 like yeah it's 1987, it's and this is a true. large studio yeah. producing this. Like, there's all sorts of like weird stories about the, you know, various producers interfering with the production of this movie. Like the fact that at some point they like John Peters wanted there to be a fucking alien in this movie because mm-hmm. aliens had just gotten really big, so was like trying to push uh, them to put an alien in a scene of a movie, and. George Miller was like, no, I'm not doing it. And they were like, then we're going to find a different director. And Jack Nicholson was like, the fuck you are. I'm leaving if you do that. God Um, bless Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. Fun Jack Nicholson fact. He is a big Yankee fan and threatened to quit The Departed if they ever tried to make him wear a Red Sox hat. (laughs) (laughs) Jack Nicholson strikes me as a guy who, like, he has a look and plays characters that are, like, real scummy. But he seems like a solid dude. Like I so, don't. I, don't I think know. this is where we get to the part of the podcast where I tell my personal Jack Nicholson story. Oh, yes, fish. fish. No, oh, Jack Nicholson comes out looking very cool in this story. Don't worry. Okay, no, um, still dish. It was at Yankee Stadium because, of course, it was. And if you've been in the new Yankee Stadium, it is needlessly frou frou bourgeoisie. Uh, I haven't. Bougie but as fuck. Believe you. Yeah. There's a whole fancy restaurant part. Me and my dad. We're at the fancy restaurant park because we're bougie as fucking etiquette people. And there was a buffet and Jack Nicholson was there. So I tried to get, you know, I don't want to bother him, but I want to be like, maybe I can overhear him. Like, what's Jack Nicholson talking about? And you're like, well, if, let me see if I can hear the E. Exactly. <laughs> so the fucking, ma- the fucking maitre d' comes up to Jack Nicholson. I overhear him go like, Mr. Nicholson, so good to see you. Like, if you could, we just don't want to cause any kind of commotion or crowd at the buffet area. So if you could just, Stay in your seat here. You let us know what you like, and we'll bring everything to you right away. But if you could just stay here and not go to the buffet, like, that'd be really appreciated. Fucking Nicholson glares daggers at the guy, doesn't say a word, gets up, walks straight to the buffet, and starts introducing himself and shaking hands with everyone there. God bless. He just seems like he's just happy doing a fun job and he uses his powers for good and not evil except when he's the devil in this movie. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, so that, that is my personal Jack Nicholson story that is just him being fucking so Nicholson did you meet as hell. Him? And, no, I didn't. I kind of stayed away. I'm like, I got my an- I got my anecdote. I'm good. That's what all I really wanted. <laughs> you can't disappoint a story. <laughs> right? Well, I'm glad that Jack Nicholson, like I haven't heard much about Jack Nicholson in the wild. But I'm glad to know that in the that story. As far as I know, we haven't he watched is Wolf yet. So. An all around <laughs> cool as fuck, dude. I was gonna recommend Wolf. <laughs> that movie is also pretty wild. 
Uh, um, I guess we, I mean, we've talked about pretty much everything that happened in the movie. I mean, do we want to tackle the questions of, of I mean, we've talked a lot about do. the feminism or feminism of this the movie. Question mark? Yeah. I think I'm going to weigh in that this movie is feminist, but like trying really hard. Like, well, like, I feel like that's the case with a lot of things in this movie. And I yeah. don't know if it's John Updike or I don't know if it's the director or the screenwriter or what. But the fact that, like, okay, there's a point where they say Jack Nicholson is talking about women and he's like, uh, a woman is a hole that people pour sorrows into or whatever. And I'm, that's mm-hmm. what they say, isn't it? And I was like, is that what they say? And like, I looked up the quote and it's a Sartre quote. And I was like, oh, that's not what they say. That's what Jean-Paul Sartre said. Like, <laughs> it's not. But the devil is going to say. the level at which this movie is like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can I mean, make like, a movie about witches having sex with the devil if also we include a lot of highbrow quotes. Then there'll be art. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of liked that, but that's because I, you know, I, I think it's funny when people monologue. But, like, I did like kind of how up his own ass, but also self-aware up his own ass, but also still desperate he was. I don't know. There's, like, a complexity there that I think is remarkable for a film, like, for a, a supernatural hum- comedy film, at least, you know, mm-hmm. where he is basically, like, aping try-hard feminism in order to get these women. And that's kind of the point you mm-hmm. know and so whether or not it's on purpose it does come off as dudes will will do all this shit instead of go to therapy right like it's <laughs> <laughs> at least he lays it up on on the line and you can you can make they make a decision from there i guess yeah. so it's like like my read is it it's good like you know feminism i guess kind of but also i think it the script probably could have benefited from a pass from another woman before they just shot it like yeah, absolutely you know because i think the points that i made earlier probably would have been picked up about like what about the chill like they, they can just go fuck off like literally and, and and not really have a lot of consequences except more babies like it, it, it like i think it's fair for its day kind of but the it could have used some more a passes room full of balloons oh okay that solves everything oh yeah well that, and that's another thing is i think as part of their like this come up and is that their preoccupation with fucking this new dude and like you know just trying to fulfill themselves is you know they kind of got they lost sight of certain priorities and it doesn't talk about the kids but i like the fact that it doesn't talk about the kids because then it's not so much of a moral yeah that's dilemma fair. about yeah. like you know shaming them for not being for trying to be sexual when they should be mothers you know or whatever yeah because it's but, not like that's an element of the movie. It's not like the movie goes like, oh, you've been neglecting your kids by spending all this time. Like, like hell, they're so loving it. They're partying with Daryl. They're hanging out in the mansion. They got new toys. They're swimming in the pools with their moms. Like, yeah. But yeah, like, they're kind of a non-entity. Like, mm-hmm. they're there. They're just, they're not there to actually be characters. They're just there to inform the they're the where, backstory, you know. Yeah, they're just there to be, yeah, it's, to let us know is, where, like, they're all in there and where each of them are at in life. It's strangely progressive, I think, to have that be, a, like, to have the kids be a non-entity in this story about the women, because mm-hmm. you have a lot of stories with about single mothers, and it's like, oh, I gotta do these things for my kids, 
you know, I have this, I have it rough, but it's all worth it because of my kids. And, you know, then they're just defined by their kids or the it's kind of refreshing seeing some moms that don't really give a fuck about their kids. And so <laughs> yeah. at least they're being wanna... honest, right? We, yeah. Or... Like, like, honestly, I mean... again, single moms, we see a lot of single moms in movies on this show. It's kind of yeah. refreshing to have a few who are like, look, I'm still into living my best life. I feel yeah. like it's, it's interesting to me. The also the difference between single mother share and single mother, Michelle Fiverr, which like single mother share is like, yeah, my kid's fucking raised. Like she's 17 or whatever she is. Like she doesn't listen to me anyway. She's got a good head <laughs> on her shoulders. Like she'll be fine. And, yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer is like, look, I have had a basketball team full of kids to take care of myself. <laughs> None of them have names. They're all just very blonde and they follow along behind me wherever I go. Um, you just said there's a lot of them. Yeah. 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 I think she's um, six. Uh, six. Yeah, six. Six. Plus the one at the end. <laughs> yeah. So she has seven kids for herself. Cher has two and Susan Sarandon has one. So there's 10 kids between them. Although I think at the end in the one of the final scenes, you see Cher's kid like teaching the other kids how to dance or whatever. Also, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's baby at the end of this movie is fucking buff as hell. I don't know what the deal is with that small blonde child, but like, it looks like a fucking hemorrhaging Swede. she did. All the hemorrhaging. Yeah, it wasn't because of Jack Nicholson. It was because the baby was flexing. <laughs> doing fucking yeah, doing, doing little squats in there, like yeah. You know? Yeah, the other um, kids are like bouncing up and down in their bouncy chairs. He's just like squatting the chair. He's just... Yeah, yeah, he's like pressing the bench. Again, I, I'm so glad that like they haven't tried to get like Pfeiffer, Sharon, Sarandon back for like, we're doing the warlocks of Westwick when your kids are grown up and now they're 18. It's that one fucking like Sebastian Stan movie we covered a while back. Yeah, now it's the say, covenant. It's like, oh, it's the covenant now. <laughs> like, I feel like it's for the covenant. Like, what I feel like it would have been so easy for whoever owns this to be like, where we got the the stars, except Nicholson, obviously, back. Like, and it's gonna be a streaming service show, and it's gonna be can't canceled after one season, and then fucking written off in, as a tax write off hell, like three months later. There's actually, um, I, I checked my notes. There's actually a sequel book where okay. I don't know the plot, but you know, I assume it's the I think Widows it's, of Eastwick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that I think touches Which on. Just came out like a few years ago, to. I think, um, 2013 or 2017. John Updike recently died, uh, just in the last couple of years. Oh, but I, I think I hope I'm not incorrect about that, but I seem to remember that happening. Let me double check that before we put that in the podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say also there's a two. 2000 stage musical and then there's a television show inspired by it called Eastwick which I think we already alluded to yeah which yeah. Veronica Cartwright appears in but nobody else from the movie does uh yes John Updike died in 2009 the age of okay. 76 Ooh, that was longer ago than I thought oh my god what is time <laughs> I mean um, compared to when the movie came out yeah he just died yeah Eastwick ran in 2009 2010 yeah, a mysterious man bestows powers on three women. So yeah, it just looks like a, a remake as a as a TV show that only it seems got seven episodes. So yeah, they they did not even finish out the first season. Yeah, I mean it's I I think they were trying to do something with the the themes that might have been dated, and it just didn't really go Look, anywhere. 
I understand why they would have thought it worked. Like, Charmed was a successful show. Cougar Town was a successful show. Charmed meets Cougar Town should have worked. It's like not, how, you, how, sure. you, how you amalgamate them, because, like, it's not wrong either. Right? <laughs> like, I oh, can man. see how, like, Magical MILFs last six seasons on ABC. Magical MILFs. Because it didn't have that name, that's why. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, you call it Magical, magical MILFs. MILFs. You're going six seasons in a movie, baby. David Dazzler, if I'll buy that without a script. <laughs> magical independent ladies for fun. That's what you do. You, you make it an For fun acronym. and profit, apparently. Fun. <laughs> MILFs. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, uh... I'm looking at this Eastwick. They had Rebecca Romaine in it. Wait, hold up. Wait, wait a minute, I feel hold like up. Part of the problem is just calling it Eastwick and not, you know, it's the that... witch's part. That's like when they that's like when they renamed John Carter and the Princess of Mars to just John Carter. I and then they're... they were surprised when it bombed. I think the Mercury team was MOA for that one or MIA Ooh. for that one. Yeah. Jerry O'Connell. It's fucking Punisher was in this, but he wasn't playing the devil. Little John Barenthal. Or the Punisher. Yeah. And John Barenthal is Raymond Gardner and Paul Gross is Daryl oh, Van that's, Horn. Now that is a real, like, before they were famous. Paul Gross. Yeah, he's not in anything else. Like, he's in a God. ton of other stuff. There's nothing I have ever seen in my life. John Bernthal. <sighs> now I just really want to see John Bernthal play the devil. I'd, He'd be such a good devil. He would. Keep that. Keep Maybe that Punisher can actually be Mephisto. Uh, yeah, there's nothing to discuss about race in this movie because there are no races. It's all white people. Uh, the race, the races are really blonde, white. redheaded, and uh, brunette. Um, yeah. Also, well, he does he does make some racisms. To... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are some racisms for sure about dry cleaning. Oh yeah, that's mm, absolutely. Also, Fidel, the the. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's you want to talk about this, Fidel's yeah. huge schlong, Emily? Is that what you wanted to... No! Yes. Because they do tell us. Well, he does tell us. Van Horn specifically tells us that Fidel has a huge schlong. Um, I believe it. I don't know why that's information that we need to know at that point. Maybe um, that's for the ending. There's implications that he's there in a vibe, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't. I, some of them don't like it when it's he too see, big. Yeah, so. he he seems there for in the childcare capacity. He can have any kind. And maybe of, that I was Zach Nicholson's way of being like Fidel. I know you share because which is psychic. Did Fidel did Jack... too big? Me, me and my Schrodinger dick, just right. Did Jack yeah, Nicholson I'm... fuck Fidel? Is that how he knew that? Jack Nicholson absolutely fucked Fidel. <laughs> absolutely, he also hundred percent. He also talks about how doing push-ups is a cure for for women. So I'm like, Jeremy, I think we broke him. <laughs> Gay doubles. He's looking, just, he's looking just... for a cure for women. He does say that bit. Yeah. Uh, it did sound to me like like Ben was said that Jack Nicholson had a Schroeder dick, which is different than a Schroeder dick. I don't know. He did I have a lot, of pianos, a, piano he did a lot of pianos, though. He had a lot of pianos. He had a lot of pianos. Maybe a piano is a Schroeder dick. I don't know. I really don't want to think about Schroeder dick. I mean, he's probably, I mean, he's old enough now. I've, I, Schroeder, how old would Schroeder be now? Dead? <laughs> be very might, old. I don't think he would be, like, that old. But I think he would be pretty much beyond. Oh, OD'd at 49. Oh, don't. Oh, no. 
I think he's the old man. Right before he was going to play, right before he was going to play at the garden. Okay, so there there is some class. Schroeder's got a residency. Schroeder's just Billy Joel. Yeah, there you go. Schroeder is however old Billy Joel is. I give up. Uh, do you guys recommend this movie? Do you think people should should see this movie? Yes, this movie's a delight. Yeah. Oh, um, real quick, class. So it's it's there. It exists. Um, sort of, but LGBTQIA. I mean, yeah, they're a polycule, but I wish I wish this was a gayer than a 1987 mainstream movie would be. Yeah, I would say just. Know what you're getting into, and maybe have friends and have drinks or other substitutes to kind of have fun with Jack Nicholson and his overlarge ham. That is this movie because that's yes. the best part, I think, objectively. Yes. Um, you know, like the characters are kind of like you know they're fun. I think Cher is probably the funnest character, you know, but that could that's always subjective. They're kind of they're also they're all fun in their own like you know way but he's objectively the funnest one because that was like you know my son on it's just like oh Jack Nixon as the devil that sounds like a good time and I wasn't disappointed so you know but I think going in blind was a probably a mistake on my end because I was like what is this movie yeah yeah um yeah I think I recommended this one to you because you were like what are you guys doing that's not particularly scary and I was like oh witches of Eastwick isn't scary like yeah, I mean, you weren't wrong. It's kind of like Rosemary's Baby, but kind of a, a a comedy that is subjective comedy. So I don't know if you guys know Rosemary's Baby, but it's kind of a similar... And you're not saying that Rosemary's Baby is funny. Subjective comedy? No, this is. Okay. This is more subjective comedy. Okay. Right, right, Rosemary, right. like, if they Rosemary's took Rosemary's Baby... baby is yes. they, Rosemary's Baby is objectively a comedy. <laughs> I don't know. I would say, I would go as far as to say there is nothing funny about Rosemary's Baby... <laughs> Including who made it. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just well, kind of like a similar theme, but like taken two artistically different directions. Of the yeah, 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 yeah. totally right. You're totally right about like, it is that whole idea of like, you know, here's the evil baby and the woman and the family. And then, you know, there she has to figure out like, am I going to be the mother of the Antichrist or whatever? And She's surprisingly little concerned about that in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody is like, I'm worried it. that this baby that I had with the devil is evil. They're just like, yeah, it'll be fine. They yeah. believe in nurture, not nature. <laughs> Bless them. Bless yeah. Them. Bless it be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, yeah, because Rosemary's Baby was a Polanski movie. I forgot about that, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the only reason we haven't actually talked about that movie yet, is I, I don't that, really want to talk about Roman Polanski or his films. That's, that's yeah. valid. Anyway, back to the fun movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, with that said, I, I think like I, I definitely recommend checking out. It is much like on the horror movies in a lot of cases seem to fall somewhere in different areas based on their like scariness and horniness. And a lot of times those like go together in a horror movie. This one is much less scary and much more horny, you know, so. It's, oh, it's, yeah. This movie it, is kind of like if the witches and Beetlejuice kind of connected it's it's um, one of those movies I think that's like it's like reading 1980s Chris Claremont X Men. It's much more fun if you're imagining that they're fucking between scenes, like <laughs> because you know it's see everybody seems like they're vibing and they're together and they've got things, but they're not allowed to be in relationships with people of the same sex. But like it's everything about it seems explicit except for that part. And in this movie, it's it's the same sort of way as like 
they all like together, right? Like, no. All right, I guess. I guess you can't say it. You can't write it, but it seems right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. It's. It's. It, it will inspire you to write fan fiction. I think about this, the movie you just finished watching, even if it's just in your own mind. With that said, uh, let's uh, let's do some recommendations. Uh, Emily, do you have anything to recommend this week? Well, I I mentioned Wolf, which is another just Jack Nicholson being whack movie. And it has James Spader being sleazy, which is like my two, like is another one of my vices. Like, ew. (laughs) I mean, this is the pod, this is the episode to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, Um, just just be unashamed. Yeah, like shitty James Spader is kind of like... Well, well, James Spader was like, Pete Davidson before Pete Davidson was a thing. Yeah, well, like we'll be a little like you know '80s James Spader, even like Sex Lies and Videotape James Spader. I don't know. He's such a fucking even Age of well, Ultron James Spader. I mean, I guess, but he's I don't know. I'm not as into it when it's not like him with the glasses and he's like, mm-hmm, I'm just I'm just so better than you. Just really, I'm just so big punchable. fan of the blacklist. You, you really need like uh, what is it? Uh, Stargate James Spader. The Stargate, you know, Stargate. Oh, I feel James a thesis Spader. coming on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Stargate James Spader colon colon <laughs> the only one that is marryable. <laughs> All of the other ones are, you know, conquests to like regale to your your grandchildren back when they're teenagers, and you're like, "Ah, fuck, James Spader." Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Wolf, another one. Another. What movie are you that talking really... about with your grandparents? Uh, they're all dead. I feel like Wolf um, in particular is one of those one movies that... that, like, it's it's it puts Jack Nicholson in the eighties. 90s ver- like place that we have Donald Sutherland and don't look now that you like uh-huh. you guys really wanted to fuck Donald Sutherland huh like yeah Jack Nicholson it's like looking back to the 80s and 90s it's like this both both him and Susan Sarandon I think are are people that like that just had like people's sexual imagination wrapped around their fingers somehow like that Susan Sarandon is like the sexual one in this movie with Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer is like yeah even yeah. though she starts out like the demure one yeah uh, one of them but the other movie I wanted to recommend a movie if you like Jack Nicholson you want to see really really young baby Jack Nicholson going nuts there's this classic horror movie that has like it's all star cast it's got Bella Lugosi I think maybe even and like definitely Peter Laurie and Vincent Price it's called The Raven and it is one hundred percent camp. And Jack Nicholson has a bit part where he's like possessed and he's like a coach driver or something. It's so campy and so wonderful. It's like, like cartoon, like Edward Gorey shit. Like it's so good. And, you know, it's probably problematic. I I haven't seen it in ages. I just remember it was just really funny and fun. And there was a bird and bits of prices in it. And so that's like big points. (laughs) So, and that movie's from like the sixties or something. So, but yeah, Baby Jack Nicholson is pretty fun. Yeah, he's also one of his first roles in anything was just like a bit part in the original Little Shop of Horrors film too. So, like, he's got a lot of like little bit parts oh, in like his the early old career. One. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, the 1960 Little Shop of Horrors. The the one that's uh, yeah. in public domain now, right? Yep. Let's see, uh, Ben, what did you have to recommend? I have another movie that is. 
campy and spooky comedy and full of very big stars and a movie that I'm sure we will one day cover on this podcast. And that is Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. I was going to talk about that a bit. I, I offer yeah. for Wolf. But yeah, Death Becomes Her is... Watching this movie, at one point I was like, we have to talk about Death Becomes Her at some point. Yes, um, yes. We, fucking Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Absolutely. Goddamn, Lily, we have to talk about Death Becomes Her. Yeah. Let's see, Rachel, did you have anything you wanted to recommend? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the other homework I had. So um, I'm going to recommend a book because I've gotten back into reading because it's a good thing when I'm uh, triggered as a way to distract my brain. So I'm reading the Hunger Games prequel in preparation for the movie that's going to come out like in two weeks. And it's a, it's a good time. It's a good, I think it's interesting because it finds a way to, it focuses on the dictator dude before he becomes the dictator, but he's the president. Um, it's interesting. So it's a, way- if, if it's the prequel, it's if it's the prequel, it's the uh, actually pretty full games. The actually pretty full. That joke was terrible, Alicia. Please cut that. Cut that. Cut no. that. Cut no, that. No, Alicia. No, cut Alicia. I'll quit. If yeah. you cut, cut that, it. I'll quit the cut show. It. Cut it. Cut it. It's the, I could eat games. <laughs> Bringing it up with just that, but um, it's so Camille uh, Corleone Snow, uh, however you pronounce his fancy version of Cornelius, but it focuses on him as a as a like a young adult, like seventeen, eighteen year old, and it's interesting way because it's like you know it's a way to get in the mind of someone who's objectively a bad person, but how their elitism has, and you know uh, war has kind of made them that way. So it's I thought it, it's an interesting character study. And it's an interesting way, it's an interesting perspective of the world around him, but it's still, like, I think from what I remember when the book was announced that people were like, why are they talking, why is she going to do this guy? And then, like, once you read the book, you're like, oh, that that makes sense, that's actually a good book. But I really like The Hunger Games, and I kind of forgot they existed, and when the movie was going to come out, I was just like, yeah, I'll read the book, because I read the other books before I saw the movies. So, yeah, Hunger Games, woo. The Hungy Games, or the games. actually pretty cool games. Yes. <laughs> what is the what's the name of that book? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's important. It's called uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So I think the movie's going to be out mid November, and the book's been out for a couple of years, obviously, like five years or something. So. Yes. Speaking of wanting to fuck Donald Sutherland, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, Donald Sutherland is yeah he's the President Snow in the original. Uh, Hunger Games yes. movies. So I, I don't know. I don't know if he's. I mean, I would be surprised if he didn't at least cameo book in think, something. In yeah, film. that would be my read. Is they have kind of a cut to the future of like you know something just so they could use him because they're using his um some of his lines from the original trilogy for the trailers to as uh to recontextualize them. So I think that's what they're hinting at. And he's Donald Sutherland seems like down to do whatever. So I wouldn't be too surprised. Yeah. Right for him. What I'm going to recommend is, uh, of course, I am in the middle of my usual October scary movie month, watching a a lot of not all good scary movies, but lots of scary movies. And this last week, I watched a, a movie that's one of the the best reviewed horror movies of 2023. Um, it's called Osera the Bone Woman. It is a Mexican horror movie. It is on Shutter right now. It rocks. Um, cool. It's, on my list. It's very scary. It has a lot of DNA in common with the Babadook in that it is a, a movie about a, a woman who is pregnant and 
starts seeing a uh, creepy woman with breaking, cracking bones that keeps following her around and doing shit that may or may not be related to the fact that she is maybe not that into being pregnant and having a baby. And she's just kind of realizing that she started doing all these things for other people and um, that she sort of trapped herself into this thing. Which is valid and difficult fear. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the very alien vibes. Yeah. It's a lot of like, you know, this this thing is sort of creeping around doing things and people don't believe her. And she has a real chip of a husband <laughs> to sort of help out with all this. He he really sucks. And I, w- one of the like fun, fun things about this movie is is like it really has this like subplot as it's going on of her like going back and remembering that she used to like have this really cool girlfriend and used to have this like very punk life that she left behind because you know her brother died and she wanted to like take care of her family and you know provide her parents with all the things that they wanted and uh, that that's sort of how she ended up here and you know she ends up like going back out and searching out this ex-girlfriend who is like the only person who gives a shit enough about her to like actually listen to what's going on in this story, which is like it's the rare like, you know, bisexual lead who's like, actually, my ex-girlfriend was really great. And my husband that I'm married to kind of sucks because like, <laughs> so so often I feel like those movies go the other direction. So yeah, a really good movie. It's on Shutter. I think it's all of like ninety minutes. It's a pretty quick one and and very good and genuinely spooky as well. So yeah, totally worth a look. Uh, that is uh, it for us. Rachel, could you let people know where they can find you online and find out more about what you're up to? Oh, okay, cool. I can do that. Um, so in Kello, oh, in oh, case oh. you don't know me, um, my I'm a YouTuber. So my YouTube name is I Love Kim Possible a lot. Um, you can't see the little zooming call, but I go by KP in that regard. I'm kind of slowly having my professional stuff not overshadow it, but like just kind of be out there because like people didn't know my name is Rachel for like a very long time, a concerning amount of long time. I'm sure Jeremy was just like, oh yeah, it's just KP, and I'm just like, oh, I, I'm not. That's not my legal name, Jeremy, but you know. <laughs> so that's uh, my main thing. Uh, we got a couple fun stuff coming up, but uh, we've been on hiatus for a couple months just because we're a little low staff. But that's uh, being taken care of, essentially. And then I have my own podcast, which is easier to produce because audio is easier to edit than video on top of audio. So that's called Animation Communication with the K. I think we're on episode, like, we're going to be on episode 90 soon. So I've been doing it for two years, and it's like a subset. Okay. Uh, nice. And then, yeah, and then we have a, my my Discord fan oh, server yeah. where, you, where you host games and movies and shit for free. So if you like free things, then you can vibe in there. And that's all my general plugs. I have a Twitter, I guess, but that's how Jeremy and I talk. <laughs> Pretty active on there. I have a Twitter, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of where that's I'm a, about. That's where I am too. at as well. I'm I'm here for you. Whoever's we listening, we're still checking on that sinking ship occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's so much to hassle to move at this point. So we're just gonna see. We're just gonna see, you know, and have some backups planned and kind of be down for the ride. I'm still holding out hope the banks take the back to site. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Yeah, at least you know everybody knows where the swamp is that the castle sink into. So sometimes it's still easier to meet there. Like, you know, 
rather than those different place. We recognize yeah. all the landmarks. Oh, uh, X marks the spot. Do, do, do. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. That's horrible. Um, it's, they were talking about maps. It was it was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I. I mean, it is not horrible in that it was. Uh, it was good actually, but it's horrible that it applies so accurately. Um, <laughs> X marks the spot where something fucking used to be, where there used to be treasure. <laughs> no. I mean, it was buried, but it was there. You know? I mean, yeah. It was uh, like the island, the junk island on the Pacific. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Trash island in the Pacific, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, Emily, do you want to uh, let people know where they can find you and what you're up to? Megamoth.net. This is basically a card or link tree or whatever. It has all of my stuff on there. Megamoth is in a very big moth, M-E-G-A-M-O-T-H dot and i'm on the blue sky <laughs> i'm on uh i moved out <laughs> yeah I've, i'm on i'm on twitter as well but if i'm on blue sky and then we also, gotta roll a toilet paper on twitter you know just yeah just when you <laughs> stop over there occasionally the water's yeah. still on yeah I, the water's still on that i mean we're on i'm on solar over there anyway uh i'm off the grid but <laughs> i'm also on instagram at mega underscore moth patreon mega moth and of course, we have our uh, the Prague Horror Pod on Twitter. And come find us on Letterboxd. We many of us have Letterboxd, so um, I make I think I make a moth on Letterboxd. I think you are too. Yeah, make a moth on Letterboxd. Jeremy, you're on Letterboxd, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's where our, that's where we house our list that we'll be updating yes. next week. So yeah. all of our rankings. Can't wait to see what arguments we have this time. Me too. Exciting. Uh, ben, what about you? Where can people find uh, you? What yes. are you up to? Find me, you know, on Twitter. I'm at Ben the Con, and then everywhere else, website, Instagram, Blue Sky. Find me at BenCon Comics. Yeah, BenConComics.com. Yeah, L Campbell wins their weekend. Uh, my prose debut is out in stores now, and uh, yeah, and make sure to check out uh, Captain Laserhawk the manga out from Tokyo Pop. Yeah, late. Yeah, and uh, of course you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58 on Blue Sky and Tumblr at Jeremy Whitley. You can find me on my website, which is newly renovated to where it actually looks like a working person's website at uh, jeremywhitley.com. You can, it is December now, but you can find the newly released volume two of School for Extraterrestrial Girls by me and Jamie Noguchi. just came out in November. Makes a great Christmas present if you're shopping at the last moment for one of those things. Or just a present for just like whatever reason. If you don't like Christmas, some people don't. It's cool. Um, I love Christmas. Yeah. Or Yule. Have it, give, it, give us a Yule present. Or maybe for Hanukkah. For Hanukkah? I was going to say, I'm actually sure. Jewish, but Christmas is my favorite ho- holiday because I'm ironic like that. Yay, being Jewish. High five. Woo. Go us. Go us. Woo. And then high fives for you and too, Jeremy and Emily, just because <laughs> everyone, like, everyone gets a high I, five. I I hear the word high five and I was like, oh, you no, get you a can, high five. You you guys high can five. come to the Hanukkah party too. Don't worry. Your oh, yeah. in the mail. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just watched Attachment. Oh, there you go. That's good. That's a good movie. Yeah, I want to talk about it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah we should talk about Attachment. Um, Ooh, yes. Did you watch Attachment too, Ben? I haven't, but I'm sure it's good. It it's is good. Jewish. It's gay. You had me a Jewish and gay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's um, about possibly if it gets any more mother. Jewish, if it gets any more Jewish and gay, you're gonna tell me Abby Jacobson's in it. <laughs> well, see, it involves a mom who is maybe not very communicative, but very overprotective. So yeah, which I'm is checking out my checkboxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, they make um, fun of the volume. Oh well, you know I'm always here for that. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, the podcast itself, you can find us on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. You can find us at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm for our websites where you can get show notes and all that stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod uh, until it finishes burning down, and then hopefully you'll find us other places. You can rate and review us wherever you're listening to this, and we would love it if you would do so. Helps other people to find us, which helps us make more stuff, which uh, we then give to you. So you're really helping yourself when you do that. Thanks again so much to Rachel for joining us. It was great yeah, having you. you. Uh, fun, oh. fun to uh, talk about a movie that obviously you so made much. you very uncomfortable. <laughs> was that apologies for that? <laughs> At least it was in Titan. No, I, I, I got a film degree, so I'm always down to even deconstruct those and talk about that, even if it's just something that I'm not personally vibing with, because I'm not the only person in the world that's seen this movie. So I appreciate the invite, Jeremy. I appreciate you guys for dealing with my bad jokes and um yeah i had a fun time so i no. can't really complain they match <laughs> our bad again. jokes so yes yeah. i mean I'm that's happy. uh that's kind of the name of the game happy, yeah, to, happy to come again if you if you want to talk about more jewish movies bad, bad jokes Excellent. and political commentary yes that's our bag yeah no one else's though hey talking to we rad in, people is, is always just fun it. so <laughs> thank you as always to all of you for listening and until next time Stay horrified. <laughs>